Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Charles Neiman, Senior Pastor of Abundant Living Faith Center. Hey, join with me tonight in welcoming our West Side family that are coming online with us right now. Hey, good to have you guys. We love you. So good to have you joining with us tonight and to be able to come and share with you tonight the next to the last teaching on this incredible series. How many of you have enjoyed Burn the White Flag, huh? I can't hear you West Side people. Have you all enjoyed this on the West Side? There we go. Thank you. All right. So good to have you and so glad that you're able to be here tonight. We're going to, as I said, this is the next to the last. So let's do a little bit of quick review. If you have your Bible with you, turn with you. Turn with me to Luke, the 18th chapter. This has been our foundation text in this study. I'll be honest with you. You know, when, 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 I, when I felt like the Lord gave me this title and this subject, I thought this teaching would be good. I did. I thought it would be good. I, and, I mean, I, I, I think everything you teach from the Word of God has the potential to be good. All right? The only thing that gets in the way of it sometimes is the way it's met, delivered to you. But, but the water's good. How many of you understand what I'm saying to you, right? So, but I felt like this had the potential to be good. But it has exceeded what I felt in my heart it would do. I felt like God has really put his presence on this. And it has really brought forth some depth and some understanding. And I pray that it continues to strengthen you and that, that it's come alive in you. The statement that Jesus made here in Luke 18, verse 1. And he spoke a parable unto them to this end or to this purpose that men ought always to pray. So, you know, we, we've mentioned each week that, you know, that, that, that statement there that this is to be a prayer is to be a part of our lifestyle, right? Not, not just something that we do, oh my God, I guess we've got to pray. You know, it's kind of like the, that's the knot in the end of the rope. But that, you know, that prayer is a part of our lifestyle and that we, and that we not faint, right? So I said to you that that term "not faint." If if you heard it in the original in the literal text that day when Jesus said it, you would have had this idea: Jesus saying that you don't throw in the towel, that you don't wave the white flag. Now that term there, uh, "faint not," carries with it the idea in the literal uh, in in the Greek English dictionary that you not become faint-hearted, right? That you not become faint-hearted, that you not. Uh, become, uh, uh, excuse me, I I got mixed up. The word faint there means that that you don't become a coward. So there is this pressure on us as children of God to wave the white flag, to surrender, to cave in, to throw in the towel, to become a coward, to lose your courage. It, always, it also carries the idea to be slothful in duty or to lose your soul or heart. If you're taking notes, would you write that down or maybe underline that in your thinking there? To lose your soul or your heart. It's an interesting thought there, to, to, to lose your heart or your soul, to lose your soul or your heart. Okay? And then we, we tied that verse into Hebrews 12. We spent a lot of time on this in, in the past few weeks, but I just want to kind of get our thinking back. Well, there the Bible instructs us to be careful that we don't become wearied and faint in our minds, right? That we don't become wearied and faint in our minds. And the word wearied means that we become faint-hearted, to, to have it badly, to become weak or feeble, right? And uh, to, to grow uh, impatient or dissatisfied. 
to break down. You know, today when I was looking at that, I just asked myself and my own self, and again, I'm not trying to analyze people. I don't claim to be a physician or, or a therapist or anything like that, but I wonder how many times will we say, you know, that person broke down. I wonder how many times people break down, and the breakdown is, in fact, discouragement. You know, they, they, they've just gotten wearied, you know. They, they just break down in life, and, and they don't know how to fight back. They don't, know, no, they don't understand what's going on. They've lost their courage, you know. They, it's just it's kind of broken them down in life, you know. I, I can't say for certain, but, but I think based on that definition, there's probably more of it than any of us have really ever thought about, you know, uh, because of just... We, we grow wearied and faint, and we don't know how to fight back. And so, you know, what I've been hoping to share with you during this teaching, and I hope that I've been loading your, 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 your weaponry here, your, your, ar your armory with weapons, so that you are fighting back, you know, against this, this, this temptation. And I've said to you that, you know, I've discovered in my 40-plus year relationship with the Lord that there is a reoccurring pressure that has come against me in my life. And, and I, I'm, I don't think I'm any different than anybody else. And I, I would say probably against your life too. A reoccurring pressure to cause me to surrender, to wave the white flag, to uh, give up, uh, to, you know, settle for mediocrity. And... I've had people ask me, you know, over the years, well, Pastor, you know what stopped you? What, what stopped you? Well, in addition to some of the things I'm going to share with you tonight, to be honest with you, what stopped me, I've, I've kind of talked to you a lot about this, is that, number one, uh, so, you know, I asked myself someone one time, so, you know, what if I surrender? What if I surrender to the circumstances? What if I wave the white flag and say, well, you know, the circumstances win, or I, or I surrender to Satan's thoughts in my mind, or, or, I, or I become like the world. You know, I, 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 I allow the world to shape my thinking, my priorities. You know, I surrender to the world, or I surrender to other people's opinion of me. Okay, so let's say I surrender. Is that going to make my life better? You know, if I go home tonight and say, oh, well, you know, I give up. Is my life suddenly going to get better? If I, if I throw up my hands in the air, if I throw my hands up in the air and just say, you know, I can't take anymore, is all the pressure then going to go away? No. You know, so, you know, if, if surrendering would make my life better, I would have waved the white flag a long time ago. But, you know, giving up, giving in, caving in, throwing in the white towel, you know, throwing in the towel, waving the white flag, isn't going to make your life better. You know, then I asked myself one time, I said, okay, so, so, if I, so, so I give up, so I wave the white flag. I surrender. And, 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 you know, I had somebody say to me one time, you know, I, I think I'm just going to go back. You know, my gut reaction, I didn't say it out loud, but my gut reaction was go back to what? So what, what, what am I going to go back to? You know, Jesus said the dog goes back to his vomit, the pig to his mud. Well, I'm not a dog and I'm not a pig. You know, I'm not going to go back to the life that God brought me out of. I'm not going to go back to that life. Now, I'm just being honest with you, you know, just being real with you. I'm not going to go back to that life, right? I'm not, not going to go back to that life. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, there's nothing about that life that appeals to me. That's calling me back. 
I'm not going back to, to mud and vomit. All right? And, you know, what, one, one of the things that's, that has helped me a lot of times in my life is I, I've, I've looked at the, the urge, that pressure to surrender, and I've said, well, what about my legacy to my children? You know, what, what, what about everything I've stood for for 40-plus years? Am I going to suddenly say that doesn't matter anymore? That doesn't count? That all this stuff that I've taught you, all these things I've said, suddenly now it doesn't matter to me anymore? No. No. What, what would I say to the men and the women that I'm accountable to? You know, what, what, what would I say to Pastor Barnett? What would I say to Brian Houston? Hmm? You know what stopped me a lot of times? What would I say to you? What would I say? Sorry, I couldn't take it anymore. Grow up. You know? You know, sometimes you got to just talk to yourself and say, you know what, quit, quit feeling sorry for yourself, you big baby. You're not the only human in the earth that's had a hard time. You're not the only person that's had to fight through some stuff. In fact, there are people that had to fight through a lot worse than you. You know? So we have, looked, we have looked extensively in the last several weeks at how discouragement tries to work its way into our hearts. You know, the, the Bible talks about discouragement mean, literally means to deprive of courage, hope, or confidence. To deprive of courage, hope, or confidence. It means to dishearten. Listen to this. To dishearten. So there's an attempt by, in the world that we're living in to get our hearts, amen, to, to dishearten us, to dishearten by expressing disapproval. Listen to that. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. To dishearten by expressing disapproval or by suggesting that a contemplated action or course will probably fail. You know, we looked at it in great detail, and we saw that the nation of Israel... Uh, faced several forms of discouragement as they contemplated going in and taking the promised land, their land that flowed with milk and honey. Now, you and I also have a promised land. It's called the kingdom of God, the abundant life that Jesus came to give us, the destiny, the calling, the fruit, the purpose that God has for your life, whatever that purpose may be in your life and for your life. And the the, and, and the connections that that life has with people around you and, and people that God wants you to, to, to have a significant impact upon their lives. Listen, don't, believe, don't ever believe the lie that the devil tells you that God does not have a purpose for your life. I don't care if you live to 150, God has a purpose for your life every day of your life. And Satan wants to rob you of that sense of purpose. It makes me so sad when I see people in their 80s and stuff and, and, and they just feel like you know, they, they, their life is now throwaway. Your life is never throwaway. God always has a purpose for your life, right? Something that he wants you to achieve. And, and, and Satan will try to rob you of that. Through, you know, we looked at all those different forms of discouragement, right? And, and then we also saw, right, uh, 
that, that to go into that, they had to conquer. And we also have to conquer. There are things that you and I have to conquer in life. How many of you have discovered that before I said it to you, right? There's things that you have to conquer, right? Now, I said to you a couple weeks ago, and I want to come back to that now. That's the end of review. So now we're going to look at the new stuff. Are you ready? I said to you a couple weeks ago that one of the interesting things that you discover when you look at the book of Joshua Right when the people finally came into the promised land. And we looked at Joshua as a leader. We looked at Joshua and what God told him he had to do. And remember that Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that really knew what was waiting for them in the promised land. Right, They had been there and they had lived the 40 years and now they were coming back. And they knew that inside that promised land were 31 kings that they were going to have to conquer. 31 kings that had their own armies and had walled cities that because of the rebelliousness of the other leaders and the people before them had now had 40 more years to get ready for them. 40 more years to get ready. So Joshua and Caleb knew that you know the walls were great and the cities were great and the kings were great. Now they had 40 more years to get ready. They knew the nation of Israel was still hanging around out there in the wilderness, right? And so they knew they were coming, and here they come. And so Joshua and Caleb and Joshua knew what had to be done. You know, they had to conquer these 31 kings. And so, you know, as I began to look at that uh, and studied, I was just going to pass over and look at something, but I felt like the Lord uh, brought to my heart, actually through my good friend, Keith Craft, you know, we were talking, and Keith said, you know, Charles, you ought to share that. You ought to, you ought to share it. And so I prayed about it. I really felt like, you know, the Lord spoke to me through Keith and that I should come and share with you uh, the main kings and or giants that I've had to slay in my life that have over the years tried to get me to surrender, that have tried to discourage me, to dishearten me, that have tried to, wow, that have tried to get me to lose my heart and my soul. And uh, so I wrote some of them down. And I just felt like the Lord would have me to come and share it with you because maybe it'll help you. And I'll show you what I learned and what I did to overcome them. It's not a real long list. I think I've got five or six of them here tonight. If I, if I, if I try to cover all of them, you know, we, we'd have to start the whole series over again, right? Uh, well, it wouldn't be that long, but it's been more than five or six, that's for sure. And so, uh, you know, these are, these are kings, so to speak, that, that have been there uh, like they were in the nation of Israel to resist me, to resist us. Not just me, Rochelle and I, my kids, us as a church. You know, that we've had to fight, that, that we've had to overcome. Now, first of all, I'll be honest with you, it shocked me when I came into the kingdom of God and I began to want to grow with the Lord. It's not just ministry, it's just personal life also. Does that make sense to you? Now, some of it manifested in ministry, some of it manifested in personal, some of it manifested in ministry and personal, right? Uh, that... These, these kings that, that rose up against me and against me and Rochelle and against my kids and against us as a church, you know, but primarily I would say against me personally. These are personal things that I had to face and overcome. And to be honest with you, it kind of shocked me 
when I began growing with the Lord, I'm not even talking about ministry thoughts so much here, although it came into that too, but just in my personal walk with God, my personal growth as I moved from babyhood to childhood to spiritual adulthood, or as the Bible said, I went from babyhood to sonhood, right, to sonship, right? And as I, as I grew in that, you know, and, and I grew, it shocked me that there were things I had to overcome, that these that, you know, I, I kind of had the idea that life as a Christian would be tippy-toe through the tulips kind of thing, you know? And it would always be ice cream and cake and life would be great and wonderful because I'm now a Christian, you know, life should be spectacular. And it kind of shocked me and I had to get over the shock that, uh, you know, it wasn't always that way and not everything was always wonderful, but yet I, I, I was to fight the good fight of faith and and I would have to cut these giants' heads off. I would have to conquer these kings in my life, in my emotions, in my heart, and in my soul. Does that make sense to you? All right, are you ready? Let me give you the first one. Now, they're not written in any particular order of importance or which one was the hardest. But, you know, whenever you got a list, there's the first one, there's a the middle one, and there's the last one. So the first one I want to talk to you about that I had to overcome in my life was rejection. Hmm? I've discovered that rejection is never fun. It's never fun. I've discovered that rejection hurts, right? We all want to be liked. I think we all want to be loved to some extent. Amen? Is that fair to say? And, uh, and rejection is not fun. I don't think it's intended to be fun. I think it's intended to do what it does, and that is to hurt you. And... And all of us, I think, to some extent, I can't imagine a person that, is, that, that has lived on the earth that hasn't at some point in their life experienced rejection. It started with Adam and Eve with Cain. You know, Cain wholeheartedly rejected his parents. And uh, you can read it there, you know, in the book of Genesis. And the pain that they must have felt in their heart, you know, as he rejected God and rejected them. And so, you know, it's a part of the human experience. But, you know, just because, you know, just because somebody looks at you and says, well, I want you to know everybody's going through it. It doesn't hurt me. It doesn't hurt me any less because other people are going through it. It still hurts. Amen. And so, you know, I, I jotted down a couple of thoughts here, you know, about rejection. I said, you know, I already said to you, nobody likes it. It hurts. And, it, and rejection can destroy your confidence and your hope. You know, and to be quite honest with you, you can't do what I do and not experience rejection. Well, what, what, Pastor, that doesn't sound possible. Well, just think with me for a moment. Not everybody that comes to church here stays here. Now, I think they all should. And I pray that they all will. But over the years, you know, there have been a few that have left. There have been a few that have come in and, and visited and didn't come back. And I'm like, wait a minute. To know me is to love me. You know, what, what's, what's, what's the deal here, right? And, uh, you know, so, you know, I, I so, what are you, so, so what are you going to do? So, you know, I had to. I had to deal with that, and it was very hurtful. It was very painful, you know, because 
you know, I, I, I like to think I'm a nice guy. I like to think I'm a good guy. I like to think that I don't intentionally hurt people, and I don't. I, I, I hurt people accidentally sometimes, but I can't remember the last time I hurt somebody intentionally. You know, uh, I just don't live that way. I don't like to be hurt by people, so I don't try to hurt people. So, you know, that's never been my goal. And I'm not saying that I haven't hurt people, but, you know, uh, so, you know, when, when you live that way and you kind of think that way and you think you're one of the good guys and yet you still experience rejection, well, what are you going to do with it? You know, what, what are you going to do with it? And then on top of that, you add in the reality that, you know, I believe God has called me and God has, has placed a, a, a purpose, a spiritual purpose on my life to help people and to uh, show people a better way and how to get from A to B to C to D to Z you know, in their walk with God and to take really complicated spiritual truth and break it down into simple truth so that you can digest it and apply it to your life before you leave the parking lot. You know, that's always my goal. And yet, even with all that effort and studying and praying and all the things, still people say no. And, and, some of them say no quietly, and some of them say no not so quietly. And so, you know what? Man, that was tough. Just being honest with you. It was hard. It was hard to overcome. And to some degree to this day, you know, I, I still see, see that, that little devil try to raise its ugly head up every once in a while with me, you know? Uh, but now I don't play with it. I don't toy with it. I see it for what it is, you know. And you know what's always helped me? Maybe this will help you tonight. It almost sounds too simple. But a lot of times the great solutions in life are really pretty simple. And one of the things that helped me a lot one time, you know, is uh, two things. Number one, uh, not even Jesus made everybody happy. That's not an excuse to purposely try to make people unhappy. But not even Jesus made everybody happy. Not, every, not even Jesus was loved by everybody. Okay, well, if, if, if he, who was the personification of love and perfection, could not make everybody happy, okay, there's a chance I'm not either. And you're not either, amen. And then the second great thing that helped me a lot, uh, you know, with that, uh, was just the reality that, you know, uh, you know, there's different strokes for different folks. And, uh, you know, the important thing to me that I had to settle on was is that, you know, well, maybe, maybe I'm not the pastor God has for them, but God has one for them that is going to take them to where he wants them to go, and, and I need to make peace with that. And, uh, you know, I've kind of made peace with that. being honest with you on that. Amen. All right? So, but at the real heart of that rejection was, okay, I have, I have this calling in my life. You know, I have this calling on my life to do a certain thing here in our city. And with every rejection, this thought would always come to my mind. Well, what if nobody ever likes me again? And if nobody ever likes me again, then how am I going to fulfill God's calling? And if I can't fulfill God's calling, what's going to happen to me at the end of my life? You see, you see I mean, it, it gets really crazy. Okay? 
And so there's no reasoning with rejection. Does that make sense to you? I think you have to accept it as a reality of life. I think you also have to be honest with yourself. You know, if everybody is always rejecting you, then maybe it is a you problem. That's what I said to myself, you know. Then maybe, maybe I need to look at me. Maybe there's things about the way I act or the way I think or the way I speak or the way I respond to people that is off-putting and is driving people away from me and, and driving them away. And, and maybe I can eliminate those things. You know, I, I have a job to get better too. Can I hear a good amen tonight, right? I, I can't just go through life and say, well, they're lost. You know, they should let. No, no, no. All right, I, got, I, got to, I can't spend any more time on that one. Does that one make sense to you, right? That spirit of rejection. The second one was one of the biggest things that I had to overcome, giants I had to overcome in my life were lies. Wow. Wow. You know, just bald face, no truth, no thought, no nothing, just... Guys sitting around their tables and coming up with lies to say about me, to say about Rochelle, to say about our kids, to say about our church. Just lies. Not even a semblance of truth. Nothing. Just sitting around their office and coming up with a lie. And then going on radio and TV and anywhere they could and in their pulpits and speaking that lie as if it came out of the Bible. And standing by that lie and knowing it was a lie but telling people as if it came from God. Man. Now, you know, we could look back on some of it now and they're kind of funny, you know, like the, the one the guy told one time, you know, right? He, he, he told some people, he said, you know, he said, I don't know how you can go to that church, listen to that Charles Neiman. He's taken all your money and he's bought three Learjets. And this guy said, well, how do you know he's got three Learjets? This is what he said, gospel truth, right? He said, I drove by his house and saw him. <laughs> and this friend of mine looked at him and said, you drove by his house and saw him. He said, yeah. He said, where were they? He said, they were in his backyard. Well, that's funny. All right? But it's just stuff like that, right? Now, that one was kind of comical, and we laughed at it. And we look back on it now, and sometimes me and my kids will sit around, and, you know, we'll tell these stuff, and we'll laugh, and we'll have a good time. But then I remember, and I think, well, you know, it wasn't funny then. That one was funny. Now, that, that one was always funny. All right? But, you know, a lot of times in life, not just me, not just people do what I do, but you also encounter lies. You know, people just lie. They just lie. And they lie to hurt you. They lie to make themselves look better. They lie to try to destroy you. They lie to just try to, to, try to break up a relationship between you and somebody else. They lie because they want your job and they try to get you fired. Come on, you can jump in anytime you want. I mean, lying is a horrible human trait. And, and people, some people are perfected at it. They got black belts in lying. And, uh, and, and they, they, they lie so much, they, I don't think they even know the difference between the lie and the truth anymore. They, 
I've seen people that lie when the truth would have served them better. You know, so, you know, we laugh at those things now, but they hurt us then. And as I said, they were lies about us in every area, ministry and personal. So what are you going to do about that? Right, number one, number one, I came up with a saying, toughen up, buttercup. <laughs> the first time I ever said that, I said it to myself. You need toughen up, Charles. You need toughen up. Huh? I went back to the four Gospels and I looked at all the lies that were told about Jesus, all the lies that were told about the Apostle Paul, all the lies that were told about Peter and James and John, all the lies that were told about those great men, all the lies that had been told about God, all the lies that had been told about Jesus, all the lies that had been told about the Holy Spirit. Right? You need to toughen up buttercup. Amen? You need to get a little callous to yourself. Hmm. You know, one of the things Lynn taught me was, you know, he said, you need to get skin of a crocodile where stuff just bounces off of you. You know? So that helped me, right? Needed to toughen up. And then, is this helping anybody tonight? And then one of the things that I learned, uh, Jesus helped me with this a lot, was Matthew seven sixteen. He said, by your fruit you'll know them. And he just said to me, he said, you know what? He said, just always tell yourself, your fruit will speak for itself. You can call me whatever you want, Bubba, but you can't deny that there's apples on the tree. Right? You can call me a peach tree, but there's apples on the tree. You can call me a, you can call me a, a plum tree, but there's apples on the tree. Right? You can call me whatever you want, but you can't deny the fruit. Trust in the fruit of your life, right? Your crazy relatives can call you whatever they want, but they can't deny your marriage is getting better. They can't deny your kids are getting better. They can't deny that you got more peace. They can't deny that you're not addicted to alcohol anymore. They can't deny all that crazy stuff. Come on, amen? Trust in your fruit. Can I get a good amen tonight? Trust in your fruit. Let your fruit speak. Your fruit will, you don't have to let your fruit speak. Your fruit will speak for you. You're right, your true fruit. And then, and then the Lord taught me a great lesson about lies, right? If you, if you don't defend yourself, then people are going to believe that a lie is the truth. And so I started defending myself. And I would encourage you tonight, you know when somebody's lying on you? Defend yourself. Tell people the truth. Let me try that again. I said, well, people are lying on you. Defend yourself. Tell people the truth. Don't just sit there and cry. Don't just sit there and say, well, people ought to know better. No, they don't know better. They don't know better. Well, if they really love me, they won't believe it. Well, they love you, but they believe it. And the reason why they believe it is because you're not saying anything. Defend yourself. Hmm? Defend yourself. Now, you can defend yourself nicely, but defend yourself. When I used to, like when I heard that story about the guy with the Learjet, you know what I did? I came into church the next Sunday and I told the whole church, told everybody in the church. Hmm? And I could tell that some of them were like, because <laughs> they had heard it too. Maybe not that I had them in my backyard. Right? Got to defend yourself. Is this making sense to anybody tonight, right? Hmm. And then, you know, one time learned a great lesson.
They only talk about you when you're doing something. They only talk about you when you're doing something. And the, and the other one that would go into that was, you know, my great friend told me one time, they're just barking dogs. Why do dogs bark when you walk down the street? Because you're going somewhere and they're stuck in the yard. They're just barking dogs. Amen? Is this helping you tonight? Seriously, is this helping you? Does this make sense to you? Number three, here's the third thing that, that I, I put down, that giant that I had to overcome, a king I had to kill, right? Spirit of poverty. Spirit of poverty. Spirit of poverty, you know, um, I'm not being critical tonight. I, I, I appreciate everything, everything, everything that they did, right? But looking back, I realized that, you know, I was raised in a home where my dad worked very hard and he did everything he could. And for many years of my adolescence, my dad lived literally month to month. And some months there was more month than there was paycheck. How many of you know that feeling, right? There was more month at the end. Yeah, and, uh, and so there was, there was just a real, and, and I'm not being critical, I understand why, but there was a real attention to, um, you know, just, wow, watching everything, and, and, um, and I understand why. I'm not, again, I'm not, not, not being critical of my dad on that, but um, to such an extent that, that, you know, there was just very little of any room for fun, very little of any room for fun, you know, and, and I, I, I know he didn't intend it this way, but what got in me was this, this spirit of poverty that, that no matter how much he had, it was never enough. And po spirit of poverty doesn't work just in people that don't have much. I've known people that were worth millions I'm not exaggerating, worth millions. And if you talk to them tonight, they're terrified. They, 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 don't, they, they, they will never have enough, and, and they never have enough. And if you ask them to help somebody, I'd love to, but I, I've, got, I've got to set aside more aside from my kids, and their kids already have millions in trust funds, but it's never enough, Right? Spirit of poverty does not attach itself to you based on your income. It attaches itself to you based on the fact that you're a human and you let it get in you. And it comes to squeeze the joy out of your life and to rob you of your life and, and, and to, where, to where you just never have fun and you don't enjoy life. And, and it's not only money, right? It's a spirit. Of, you, you can have a spirit of poverty that chokes love out of your life, that chokes joy out of your life, that chokes happiness out of your life. Come on. Right, and, and so, you know, I just realized that I, was, I just had this spirit of poverty in my life, and, and I, had to, I had to overcome it. I had to quit being afraid of nice things. I had to quit being afraid of, of that somehow if I, if I went on vacation that God would be mad. That, you know, that, you know oh, my God, you know, so, oh, no, no, we, we, can't, we can't spend that money on that because if we do, what if this happens? 
You know, I'm, I'm not talking about not having savings and all that. How many of you understand me? But at the same time, you know, you, you, can't, even, you, 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 can't, you can't even take your kids to get a scoop of ice cream on Sunday because you're so afraid that somehow that's going to break you. Mm, that you won't have money to pay the rent. You know, you can't even take your kids to a movie because you're so tight. It's a spirit of poverty that's gotten a hold of your life. Or you're afraid to love because that spirit of poverty has gotten a hold of your life. And then I discovered, you know, that in conquering it in me, don't get mad at me now, I had to conquer it in our city. That there was a, now whenever I say that, I always get, you know, people get mad at me and send me letters, whatever. All right, this is my reality, this is my story, and I have a right to tell it. Amen. That I had, I, it was one of the greatest battles that we had to fight. And, you know, people would tell us, you know, well, you know, you, you know, right, heard it, I'm sure you've heard it a thousand times. You don't hear it so much anymore, but if you'd been around here 35 years ago, 30 years ago, you would have heard this a lot, a lot, a lot. You would have heard this a lot. Well, you know, this isn't Dallas. This isn't Houston, you know. This is El Paso, and we're poor. How many of you have been around here for 30, 35 years? Am I telling the truth tonight? You don't hear much anymore. Now, some of you are looking at me like, oh, you're making that up. I ain't making it up. You just hear it all the time. Now, I'm not saying we don't have issues in our city. We do. Please, please don't think I don't know that. I do know that. Hmm? I spent the majority of my childhood just a few miles down that way. Not that way. Not country club areas. That way, lower valley. All right? I know poverty. Seen it. Been in the house. I had friends of mine that didn't have food to eat. So my, I started bringing extra food from home when I was in school so I could buy them lunches so they could eat. So don't, it's not that I don't see it, but I'm also telling you, you know, that, that you got to be careful of that because it, it'll, it'll put a cap on your life. It'll put a lid on your head and it'll stop you from having the life. And so that's been one of the greatest battles that, that Rochelle and I fought, and I continue to fight, my kids can fit, and our church continues to fight. You know, I, got, I received a lot of criticism because we built these buildings so pretty. Now, the majority of you love them, but you'd be amazed at the criticism we got. You know, that, and I actually had one person come up to me and say to me, you know, these buildings are too nice for El Paso. I wanted to smack them so bad. Just, you know, every once in a while, I come across these people that I just want to go, Lord, could you just look the other way for about 30 seconds? <laughs> just just kind of, oh, look, there's Michael. Bam! <laughs> oh, it makes me mad. 
How did I overcome all that? Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. Luke 6.38, you can give your way to a better life. John 10.10, Jesus came to give me life and life more abundantly. Last one, I've only got a few seconds left. Intimidation. Hmm? See, I was always the new kid in school. By the time I was in the 10th grade, I'd been to 10 different schools. I was always the new kid in school. I always showed up in school where everybody already had friends. I always felt like the outsider. And what will happen is, is an intimidation will create in you a pressure to compromise who you are. And what cured it in me was Acts the 10th chapter, right, that God is no respecter of persons. Okay? You know, I was always so intimidated, right, until I discovered Proverbs 18, 16, a man's gift will make a way for him. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't need to be anybody else. You need, to try, you need just to be who God has made you to be and take the gift that God has put in you and perfect that gift and let that gift flow and let that come. Change yourself, correct yourself, but be who God made you to be. You know, I'm not Tim Story, I'm Charles. Right? And there's always people that want to intimidate you. But if you know who you are in Christ... And you have built that in constantly inside of you, then you won't have to be. A, then you can be who God has made you be. Now that's not saying that you look at yourself and say, "Well, I'm perfect." No, you're not. You're always a work in progress. Everybody's always needs to be getting better. You always need to be allow yourself to be challenged and corrected, right? You always need to be teachable and be humble and kind, and allow God to minister through through your heart. But at the same time, you know what? You know what, Bubba? Jesus died for you just like He died for me. We're all dirty, rotten sinners that need to be saved by grace. Amen. Right? Did you learn anything good tonight? Would you give the Lord a great hand clap for his word? Amen. I hope that helped you. Stand to your feet with me, please. God bless. Great having you, Westside, if you're still with us. God bless you. Jerry's going to come now up and speak to you and talk to you tonight. So good being with you. Look forward to seeing you soon. God bless. All right, would you lift your hands towards heaven with me tonight? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person here tonight. And I pray for them, Lord. I know that all of us, all of us, all of us could do this lesson tonight. Oh, my God. All of us have got giants that are standing there telling us you can't come in. All of us have giants. All of us have kings in our lives that attach themselves to us, that came upon us in our life. You know, I didn't even have time then I'd talk about the giant of fear that I had to cut its head off. But I believe tonight, Lord, I pray tonight. I pray for every person here tonight, and I pray that you help every one of them. As Paul said, I pray for them that you strengthen them in their inner man by your spirit according to your glorious power. That you strengthen them in their inner man by your spirit, according to your glorious power. And that they'll walk out into their world, into their life. And they'll see those walled cities and they won't be intimidated. When lies are told about them, they'll tell the truth, and they'll also, but they'll also toughen up. They'll put more confidence in their fruit than they are in people's opinions. Call me what you want, but you can't deny the fruit. 
and we honor you tonight. And if that spirit of poverty, Lord, I just felt a, a real awareness of your presence here tonight when I talked about that, that grips our hearts and our souls and tries to take our hearts away from us. I pray tonight, Lord, that if there's any night that are struggling with that, that you'll help them, that you'll strengthen them, and that you'll remind them that you are their supplier, not themselves. Yes, we need to be budget-minded and conscious, but we can also have some fun. You're not anti-fun. You're not anti-fun. And we honor you tonight, God. Thank you, Lord. That we go into this kingdom not by ourselves, but you go with us to fight and to overcome these kings, these giants, these walled cities that are telling us we can't have the life that you said we can have, that we can't dwell in the land that flows with milk and honey, the kingdom of God, but in fact we can dwell in it. And we receive your word into our hearts tonight and your strength into our inner man. And we expect life to get better because God is on our side. And we're doers of the word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name. Could I have every head bowed? Thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. For information on teaching material or questions about our church, please visit us at alfc.com.